It turns out, here's the true math. You've got a better mathematical chance of surviving a plane crash than clicking on a banner ad. CEOs on average read about 60 books per year. Many attribute their professional success to this persistent quest for new wisdom and innovative excellence. MentorBox makes it easy for you to develop that same high-achieving habit of lifelong learning. As a person of action, you know that true ingenuity is the result of deep learning and knowledge. And just by listening to this podcast, you are working toward your goals every single day. If you're ready to wholly embrace this mindset, this 1% better every day, then check in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for new episodes. And if you want to dive deeper into the teachings of our guests, become a member at mentorbox.com today. There you'll find new lessons uploaded several times a week, including one by Jeff Rosenblum. Jeff is a co-president of the advertising agency Questus, a documentary filmmaker and author of the book Friction, Passion Brands in the Age of Disruption. In this conversation, Jeff and I discuss how most people alive today have been bombarded by advertisements pretty much since birth. Successful brands in the 21st century have moved away from an interruptive marketing style to ads that are meant to empower, and I dare to ask Jeff how this will impact America's corporate institutions. Why are so many ads still seemingly stuck in the styles of yore? Do new age ads risk conflicting promotion with social cause? Are ethics becoming part and parcel of promotional messaging? Let's see what Jeff thinks and knows. Cheers. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to the Mentor Box podcast. I'm your host, content coordinator Tyler Lay, and today I'm speaking with Jeff Rosenblum. Jeff is a disruptor, agency founder, and the author of the book Friction, Passion Brands in the Age of Disruption. Jeff, it's wonderful to have you here. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. So this book hit my desk with some serious gravity, and I mean that in a couple different ways. Um, it's a it's a heavy book. It's a hardcover. It's it's sizable, and I think that's important for this book because of the visual nature of it. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that are just different about this book from the other books that we've encountered at Mentor Box. I mean, it's it's so visual. There's pictures, photographs all throughout it. You know, advertisements, the people that were involved with marketing and advertising over the ages, but also just the fonts, the style, the format is very unique. And I want you to give a a brief overview for our listeners as to what the book is about and why you kind of formatted it this way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we can, we can talk about the format first. What we wanted to do was something different, right? Great brands are built by standing out and it's a book about passion brands. So we said, let's, let's stand out a little bit and we want to stay true to our personality. So when you look at all the marketing books out there, when you look at all the business books out there, there's literally thousands and thousands of them. And they're almost all identical in format in the sense that it's 100,000 words, 10 chapters, and everyone tries to make great stories. We, to your point, made something different and bigger. It's almost like a business book with a little bit of a rock and roll DNA. Oh, I like it, that. Mixed, 
Yeah, mixed with a coffee table book. Yeah. So, you know, I was reading the Amazon reviews the other day and one woman gave it uh, one star. And the reason was she's like, man, there's a lot of bad language in here. And I was like, well, yeah, that, that was the point. We actually headed into this saying, look, this is not going to be a book for everybody. 10, maybe 20% of the people are just going to outright not like it. But for the other 80 to 90%, I think what we've done is created something that at the very least is unique and at the very least tries to be emotionally engaging, tries to be interesting. So it's not just the format. It's bigger, it's bolder, it's brighter. There's pictures, there's big fonts. You know, our, the human brain is different than it was just 20, 30 years ago. We obviously have much shorter attention spans. We don't read Shakespeare. We check out Instagram and, and read 140 characters on Twitter. So we wanted a bunch of short, snackable content. And then we also wanted to use a lot of storytelling, right? So we got these really heavy topics, things like neuroscience, things like behavioral research. But we tried to enter each of these lessons through an emotionally engaging story. It might be something about the way monkey brains work. There's one story that everyone seems to really like, which is just about me being really hungover and watching Wonder Woman cartoons <laughs> with my daughter, right? So anything that we could do to capture attention and, and then educate people, we thought was the approach that's true to our DNA. Because frankly, I was a crappy student. So I wanted to make sure I didn't make something that was boring. Am I correct in saying that you really took a lot of the principles and messages that you're teaching in the book and applied them to how the book looks and is written and works itself? It's a great summary, right? The, the medium is the message. We tried to keep it cool. Yeah, that's, that's my favorite thing that I learned in communication school back in 2014 at Boston University. The medium is the message. Nice. So I want to give you my, my personal experience with advertising. And if, if you don't mind, um, just kind of a quick message. Can you just kind of define what a passion brand is and, and what friction is too for people? Because we have encountered friction in other ways at MentorBox and in other definitions. So before we get into the conversation, can you just kind of define some of these key terms and explain maybe the, the overarching purpose of the book in that way? Absolutely. Let's talk about what friction is. And through that, let's define what a passion brand is. So friction is anything that gets in the way of what you want to accomplish in life. It's anything that gets in the way of your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations, and even those mundane day-to-day -day goals. Think of it as those big things that prevent you from being who you want to be and those little things that prevent you from doing what you want to do. And the reason that fighting friction creates passion brands is that people want more from brands than just interruptions, than just clever messages, than just taglines and jingles. They want brands to help solve their problems. And that's what fighting friction is about. It's about improving people's lives one small step at a time by solving their problems. And when brands fight friction, instead of remaining addicted to interruptive advertising, all the stuff that was really popular 40, 50 years ago before digital took over, when brands break that addiction, when they fight friction, they create what we call passion brands. Passion brands dominate the competition. They don't just have customers and they don't just have loyalty. They have an army of evangelists. These are the people who are around the campfire. They're at the bars. They're at the restaurants. They're at their dinner table. They're 
I say most importantly on their social media channels, that are actively proselytizing for brands. And ultimately what that means is they dominate the competition from a bottom line financial standpoint, very often as much as eight to one over a 10 year period. That's what passion brands are about. Interesting. So looking through the book, there's, you have a lot of really good examples in there and you also give examples of people whose stories kind of reflect the natural progression into a passion brand. And I think some of them are, they're, they're such fun stories that I want to encourage people to, to pick up this book and we'll, and we'll give a, a call to action at the end for that as well. But like I said, I want to give a, uh, I want to have you diagnose me, I guess is what I'd like. So I want to just describe to you what my life has been, my young life in the realm of advertising and how I've encountered it. So very quick explanation of what I'm thinking about, but I grew up watching TV as my primary source of just, I don't know, fun diversion. It's what I spent most of my time doing for most of my young life was just watching TV in the living room and yeah, commercials every day in between every single episode, every you know break in every episode, it was always commercials. And I just, I didn't really even understand what that meant. I mean, not a lot of young people understand how, you know, the economy works and how uh, network TV is monetized and all that. But I, I just kind of took it as a natural part of what was going on. And then, you know, like there's, there's the show that I'm watching and then commercials are something there that are less exciting. And I didn't have any capital, so I wasn't looking to, you know, buy that detergent or whatever. But it was just something that I didn't question and didn't realize that I could question, I guess. And then here comes social media and the internet and all of a sudden the whole scope of things has changed and it's, I'm right around that time where I was beginning to use the internet when it was beginning to become social. And now I, I just hate everything about advertising. Like you can't, mm-hmm. you can't show me an ad that will convince me to buy something because I have, I, I'm just anti-promotion in so many ways. Like I, like I love certain products. I love things. There are plenty of things that I appreciate learning from these media, but if something is in any way an explicit advertisement or even, you know, not explicit, but I can figure out what's going on because there's a lot of like native advertising on social media these days. If I can see what's going on, I'm just like, nope, sorry, you know, brand or person or whatever. I don't like that you're in my face right now, invading my my space on social media, doing what I'm doing. I'm going to not do your thing kind of by nature. And I have a lot of friends who kind of feel this way too. You know, they just don't like advertisements because they really do seem to just cause friction in every single way. And the way that I think about this is that I came into an education about what advertising represents and just commercialization and all of that. And it was right also at the same time where it it was starting to hit me from every possible angle. So like my understanding of the definition of advertising and the purpose of it coincided with the just the the ubiqu the growth into ubiquity of advertising. And I think I'm at a, a peculiar age, a very particular age, you know, mid twenties right now, where that's it's kind of a unique experience. Do you see that as a, a common understanding of friction with advertising these days? People who just really dislike brands getting in their face and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean that's that's the summary right there. It's crazy, right? There's almost trillions of dollars spent every year. It's literally hundreds of billions. I would have of guessed trillions, actually. Every year. Yeah, it's pretty close, and it feels like trillions. It feels like trillions a day, but it's it's literally hundreds of billions of dollars are spent every year 
creating advertisements and interrupting us. And the truth of the matter is there's a bunch of brands and a bunch of people that are hopelessly addicted to this vehicle. And when you think about some of the great brands, the brands that are dominating the competition, the brands that seem to be coming out of nowhere, they're not building their brands through these interruptive ads. Now, let's talk about this for a second. Advertising can still do incredible things. We're just asking advertising to do too much. And what brands need to do is shift away from all these interruptions and shift to a model of empowerment. But let's talk about your experience, right? In, in your mid-20s, your question is sort of like, is this unique? Most of my friends seem to have a similar experience. Well, researchers looked into this. They conducted what's called an ethnographic study. And what that means is they went into people's homes to see how they lived. And they figured folks of your generation, you would be avoiding TV ads because you've got DVR technology. You can just record stuff and fast forward over them. So after conducting the ethnographic study, it turns out the vast majority of TV ads are completely ignored. The number is 89% among millennials, but it wasn't because of DVR technology. What happens is your generation and other generations still watch TV, but when the ball game is on or your drama is on and then the TV ads come on, you just look down at your phone. <laughs> yeah. That's it. You, you post something on Instagram, you check out an Instagram story. Some people are doing Snapchat, some people are doing Facebook. The point is people just look down at their mobile device. Three minutes later, the ads are over, they look back up. We don't even bother DV, DVRing. We don't even bother changing the channel. The media properties keep telling their clients that the ads are being delivered, but they are being completely emotionally ignored. Now here's the crazy thing. 90% of TV ads almost are ignored by your generation. Digital was supposed to change that, right? We have unprecedented targeting capabilities available in our mobile devices and through our desktop browsers. It turns out, here's the true math, you've got a better mathematical chance of surviving a plane crash than clicking on a banner ad. That's literally the percentages. The point is that people are looking for something more powerful than an interruptive message. They're looking for content that improves their life. They're looking for something where you'll go out of your way to check out that content and then go out of your way to share it with others. Now, if you can create this incredible content, it may wind up being a candy store in the desert, right? Which means it's great content, but who's gonna find it? That is now the role of advertising, which is instead of trying to say, hey, I'm going to interrupt you and use 30 seconds or eight and a half by 11 or 300 pixels and try to tell the entire brand story, which is, you know, core to the Mad Men era, core to what's worked for about 100 years until it got blown up. We no longer need to tell our whole brand story in an ad. Ads just need to be a gateway to that immersive experience because if that experience and that content is powerful, you're damn right you'll go out of, out of your way to participate in it, share it with others, and it will move you down the sales funnel. Just because you don't like advertising doesn't mean you're not highly susceptible to marketing. Hey, sorry to interrupt this conversation with Jeff Rosenblum, but I want to encourage you to learn more about his work and the book Friction, Passion Brands in the Age of Disruption. He shot a full workshop on the book, including tons of anecdotes that he covers and the step-by-step -step process it takes to develop that passion brand ethos. But per usual, he shot that exclusively for MentorBox members. If you want access to that and much, much more, sign up at MentorBox.com today. All right, back to the show.
I want to push back a little bit with something that I've noticed in you know the the history of of advertisements and especially I would say commercials in particular, but also just any category of video ads that I still see on the internet and on my devices and everything. What I've noticed, and I can't really speak to the deeper history of ads, but I've, you know, I've watched some Mad Men and I kind of understand that there was that golden age of, you know, just promoting the products for what they were and for how good they were. A lot of advertisers create commercials and video content that is just, that is primarily humorous and almost like anathema to what advertising is supposed to be because I think they know that my generation just like feels the way I do and they go for like the ultimate irony of like hey this is an advertisement look how like random we are like look how humorous we are like uh, the the there's like so many campaigns that come to mind that have just like that have flooded my memory now and I can't even parse them anymore which kind of seems like okay now we're saturated again with like the new wave of advertising Mm -hmm. but I think about commercials where I've I've seen there are so many with basketball players these days. Um, I I watch a lot of basketball and I I notice that they thread those in there where like they take five players and they turn them into a family and DeAndre Jordan of the Clippers at the end of one throws a basketball toward a hoop and it hits like the type that's supposed to be on the screen like non-diegetically like I can't remember what the brand is State Farm or something but it hits the type on the screen and then that hits the garage and it like destroys the garage and it's like how does that translate any sort of brand or product message it's yep. just, it just like it catches you and you're like oh wow that was like hilarious and like so illogical and it had my favorite player I'm probably going to go check this out now what's the deal with that stuff yep uh complete inefficient usage of time money and okay. to the point where <laughs> it becomes counterproductive, right? That's the crazy thing about the hundreds of billions of dollars that we talk about. It's not just that hundreds of billions of dollars are being wasted. For a lot of these brands, it's actually counterproductive. How many times have you been trying to watch something, not just TV, the one that kills me is YouTube. I'm just trying to watch a YouTube video or or how about, you're a sports fan, you're up on your favorite sports app and it's, dude, check out this monster dunk. <laughs> well, we know that a monster dunk Clip takes eight seconds at most. <laughs> but now you're asking me to watch a 15-second ad, sometimes a 30-second ad. Anything more than a moment is proportionally off. So one, the concept of interruptions is really hard to make it work. Two, the brief is often broken, right? To your point, they're starting by trying to be funny. Let's be funny. Oh, that 26-year-old Tyler and his millions of people like him. We got to be funny because they don't like advertising. Really? I don't know, dude, because I can go on Netflix and there's like 20 amazing comedians waiting for me right there. Like I can get enough funny in my life. I don't need you to bombard these ads over and over It's still interrupting me is is the point. It's interrupting. It's what's the word I'm looking for? It's insulting you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's insulting you because you're like, oh, my time is more precious than yours. I need to force this 30 seconds down your down your throat and we're going to make something irreverent and we're going to play with James Harden's beard. And like every now and then it works, but the vast majority of it really doesn't work. So is this is is the the passion brand style? Is that going to change the media themselves? Is that going to change how, you know, YouTube and Snapchat, how they, I mean, it's probably already a, a component of how they're developing their ad process and um, ad delivery. But the, what you just said really sparked something in my mind. You know, I have definitely 
like Googled Russell Westbrook dunk from today before. And then I get like, you know, it's, it's probably like a 30 second clip where it shows like three different angles of Russell Westbrook, like crow hopping to the rim and dunking on Joe Kim Noah. And then before that is like an equally long advertisement, which to me seems like there, there's a, there's a miscommunication somewhere in in, in there, like Mm -hmm. in the medium, on the website, on the app, whatever it is. Like, I'm sure that whoever creates this system doesn't want an, a, an ad as long as the video that you're about to see come up, but like algorithmically, that's just mm-hmm. what happens by nature. So, do you think that these passion brands and and this uh, those that move in this direction are going to promote a change in these platforms and media? Oh, absolutely. It's just taking honestly, it's taking longer than I thought it would take, and it may take another ten years. But the truth of the matter is there's muscle memory built. People are addicted to the old way of doing things because, you know, you went to a great college. So let's say you went to Harvard, right? And then you went on to Harvard Business School. Then you went to one of these great institutions like Procter & Gamble, and you've mastered the art of advertising, not just the creative component, but the, the data component and the financial component and what we call a reach and frequency model, which is how many people can we reach and how frequently can we interrupt them to get the brand message? And until things got interrupted, this reach and frequency model worked really well. But then all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, our model is based on reach and frequency. Frequency of what? Frequency of interruptions it is the worst form of persuasion ever. If you and I were trying to get to know each other, if I was trying to get you to like me, and I kept interrupting you over and over and over again, you would not like me, right? But we built this model because it worked for Here, a while. drink a Pepsi, so like every five words in the conversation. Yeah, every two seconds, even worse. You, how about it's just you and me and we're just a couple dudes getting to know each other? And every time you're halfway through a sentence, I'm like, well, I'm Jeff and I'm great. No, I'm Jeff, here's what, here's what you need to know about me. You're like, dude, what? You'd want to get out of that as quickly as possible. But that's, that's how the ad industry works. So, and then, you know, it's just, it's just lack of creativity. For an eight-second dunk, we're going to put the 30-second ad in. Well, that's lazy thinking. Well, let's make it 15 seconds. Well, yeah, you've, you've cut the time in half, but you haven't cut the laziness in half. It's still 15 seconds for an eight-second clip. It doesn't make, doesn't make sense. We just need fresh thinking. And if you think about your favorite brands, the brands that you're loyal to, the, the brands that you've gone out of your way to tell your friends about, it wasn't because they're pre-roll ads. It wasn't because they're TV ads. It wasn't because they're banner ads. Now, I'm sure those brands are using those tools because they can retarget you effectively. But there's something core to that experience. And that, that core brand experience is built by empowering you, by enabling you to overcome obstacles in your life. I don't want to give too much from the book away, but I do want you to give some some examples or some ideas of this sort of empowerment because I feel like that can be uh, a hard to nail down term when it comes to, or hard to imagine, you know, what empowerment can really be when you're thinking about, you know, an advertisement or a marketing campaign and how it can be, how it can avoid, you know, still being interruptive. Because at the end of the day, a lot of this stuff has to come through, you know, some device in some way and finding that avenue that doesn't cause friction, I think can be quite difficult. Absolutely. So for the MentorBox videos, we've got a bunch of case studies that we can go over uh, from all different industries. And But we'll talk about one as a little bit of a teaser. And I think it's one that most of us have been exposed to a little bit, which is Patagonia. They've been on the leading edge of this for at least 20 years. And let's just talk about the friction for a moment. 
they are in the outdoor gear and apparel category. What's the friction that lives in that category? Well, the friction is if you want to enjoy the great outdoors, you need a healthy outdoors. It's that simple, right? This target audience loves to be out in the great outdoors and the great outdoors are under assault. And to make it worse, here's the great irony, the creation of their outdoor gear and apparel actually damages the outdoors because they create manufacturing byproducts and we create garbage with their old gear. So rather than trying to cover that up, they've taken it head on. And it's not just one campaign, it's a platform. It's a nonstop series of content. So before the book, we made a documentary called The Naked Brand, and it was all about the advertising revolution. And at that time, we featured something called the Footprint Chronicles from Patagonia. And basically what that means is you can pick any product that you're interested in buying, and you can follow that product around the globe through the supply chain. And what they're not saying at every point in that supply chain is, look how great we are. They actually expose the damage that they do to the environment. Because what they're not trying to do is tell a great story. They're trying to turn a conflict into a conversation. And they're trying to say, look, we are going to fight friction through a simple tool, which is education. We're going to educate our audience about how they can get involved and defend the environment. And in many ways, that means just buying less. In fact, they took over their entire website and ran a paid ad campaign that said, don't buy this jacket. <laughs> and their whole point was like, look, buy less. They created a full-blown documentary celebrating people who buy less from Patagonia. The documentary is about people who had their jackets for like 30, 40, 50 years. When I hung out with the CEO, this guy is worth a ton and he's wearing like a 30-year-old banged up jacket. Because what they say is the most important thing is defending the environment and educating people. You know, when, when Trump uh, did his whole thing with Bears Ears and everyone seems to cower from the president, they went right after the president with a big uh, Instagram and social media campaign that says the president stole yeah, your Yeah, I remember that. And they didn't have to buy three million people to follow them. Three million people naturally follow Patagonia. So whether it's movies, donations, books, uh, uh, taking over their website, immersive content over and over and over again. They're empowering the audience by defending the environment. This creates some cognitive dissonance for me because on one end, you know, saying don't buy this jacket can be seen as an, a deliberate statement of their core purpose, as you know, Patagonia's core purpose. And I, I think this can be extrapolated to people's general feelings on corporations these days and the sort of distrust that has come up of late. But, you know, in saying don't buy this jacket, you know, you could be saying literally do not buy this jacket, do not buy products that create, you know, byproducts um, in the environment and potentially harm the environment. But also it's a method of keeping, it, it was a successful, you know, campaign in some ways to keep Patagonia rolling and and growing in that sense. So simultaneously, you know, they are they're doing things that are anathema to what they create while selling what it is that they create still with that ultimate goal of of maintaining the fact that they're a corporation with a product to sell. Is that I mean I I'm seeing some friction there. So the I, what I'm pointing at is that like there is some distrust just generally around corporations these days, but also just in simple messages like this, it's like 
okay, you know, I don't buy this jacket. I'm sure tons of people were like, oh, what's that? And they researched and they were like, oh, so they're actually like advocating for the environment in this way. And then they bought the jacket because they're like, I like what they're doing. So there's a lot of friction there for me. No, I love it. First of all, I love your vocabulary. Anathema, cognitive dissonance. Absolutely. These are these are key issues. You know, uh, irony is a great one in here. And, and I think the folks over at Patagonia get it. And I think the target audience gets it. There is this guy that absolutely dominated the advertising industry, Alex Boguski. And we featured him in our documentary. And he really introduced this thing to, to us, which is nobody's expecting brands to be perfect, right? They want brands to be honest. They want brands to be transparent. They want brands to do their best. And I think everybody understands that we're probably buying more than we need. Corporations are probably selling more than they need. Uh, There's a little bit of a game in here in the sense of I'm going to convince you to buy more by telling you to buy less. It's, (laughs) It's really fascinating psychology. I think people get it. I think they're like, all right, it's, it's not perfect, but it's a hell of a lot better than the competition. And that's the thing. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to fix everything that's wrong in an industry. But if you can find a way to improve people's lives one small step at a time, they will reward you with unprecedented loyalty and evangelism. So then where does that bring company ethics. Does this mean that companies are going to be inclined to become more ethical from, you know, the bottom to the top from that, that ultimate mission to how they treat their employees at the very bottom? Because transparency is so huge these days in the big thing and the big sort of scandals that we've seen lately, especially in Silicon Valley and that sort of thing. Um, but is, is this going to encourage companies to behave more ethically and perhaps, uh, I mean, less, deliberately sort of capitalistically if they really have to seek that that overt message of we are trying our best to help and and we're seeking to empower absolutely brands have to act more ethically we we talk about the ironic way to create a great ad because you still need great advertising the ironic way is to take a bunch of attention off of your brand and point it inward at your own behavior because you're going to be exposed either way you know i literally today i got an email from the new CEO of Uber, not me, we all did, right? It's a, you know, the whole master list got an email. They changed their behavior. They changed their leadership, probably not because they morally cared, probably because they financially cared. If they kept going down the path they were going on, that company would have been crushed because it's so easy to just download the Lyft app and go in a different direction. So whether you're behaving inappropriately, like some of those companies in Silicon Valley, as an example, or really positively, like a Patagonia, you're going to be exposed. You may be able to pull it off for a little while, but time and time and time and time and time again, we're seeing you will be exposed. So the whole key is get your culture right, get your behavior right, focus on that first, and then subsequently you can focus in on your external marketing messages. Listen up, brands out there. It's We're coming for you, so we need you to... <laughs> Take a second thought about how you market and how you advertise and what that core message is because times are a-changing. <laughs> yes, they are. Um, okay, well, that, that was wonderful. Thank you so much, Jeff. Um, uh, before we finish up, uh, The Naked Brand is the, the documentary, right? Yes. And um, Friction is the book, Passion Brands in the Age of Disruption. Where else can our listeners learn more about you, about your work, and what, what you're looking to do? Yeah, all of these principles I've learned the hard way by running a digital 
marketing agency. We work with some of the most influential brands in the world. And the name of the company is Questus. So our website is up at questus.com, Q-U-E-S-T-U-S.com. Friction is available up on Amazon. You can just do a quick search, Friction by Jeff Rosenblum. And 100% of the profits are being donated to an incredible charity called Special Spectators. So if you buy the book, the money is going to a good cause. And if you can provide a review, that's helping support Special Spectators also. And you can learn more about those guys at specialspectators.org. That's great. And this is such a cool book. One more time, guys. It's it's something that just it looks good on your shelf. It, it, it is a it's a thick, full book of visuals and also wonderful type and incredible thoughts and stories. So I definitely suggest you check it out and pick up a copy, uh, especially for this good cause. That's wonderful. Uh, well, thank you so much, Jeff, for being on. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you for the kind words. Yeah. Um, Everybody, thank you for tuning in. We will see you on the next episode. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for listening to the MentorBox podcast. If you want to learn more about what our authors as well as all of our authors teach, make sure to sign up at MentorBox.com. And if you like the MentorBox podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts as that helps us get discovered by more people who will enjoy and be helped by what we do over here at MentorBox. Also, if you think of anyone who would enjoy or be helped by what we do here at MentorBox, be sure to let them know. We do what we do at MentorBox to try to make the world a better place through the incredible education our authors bring. And we can only do that through your help. So please help us spread the word. Again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next MentorBox podcast.